Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Happy Monday, faithful listeners. Thanks for choosing to spend your Monday morning hanging out with me and discussing scripture. I mean, what a better way to start off the week than by discussing scripture together. So I'm excited that you're here. Hope you have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea handy. Tell me what uh, flavor of coffee you like to drink. Do you like to drink plain coffee or do you like a flavor like a crazy person in your coffee. So let me know what kind of coffee or tea you like to drink. Contact me. You'll find my information in the bio of the podcast episode. But we are in a new chapter of scripture today. We're going to be discussing Deuteronomy chapter 21. And actually, guys, we are more than halfway done with the book of Deuteronomy. Like we we only have, let's see here, I think 13 more chapters to go in Deuteronomy. Then we're going to be moving into season six of the podcast. So that's super exciting. Something fun to look forward to. But anyway, today we're going to be discussing murders. What a fun thing to talk about during our morning cups of coffee. But yeah, let's see what God has to say about murderers in Deuteronomy chapter 21. So let's read this today, Deuteronomy 21, one through nine. Make sure to grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea, and let's talk about murderers. If someone is found slain in the land which Yahweh your God gives you to possess, lying in the field, and it isn't known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall come out, and they shall measure to the cities which are around him who is slain. It shall be that the elders of the city which is nearest to the slain man shall take a heifer of the herd, which hasn't been worked with and which has not been drawn in the yoke, and the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. The priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for them Yahweh your God has chosen to minister to him, and to bless in Yahweh's name, and according to their word shall every controversy and every assault be decided. All the elders of that city, which is nearest to the slain man, shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. They shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Forgive Yahweh, your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed, and don't allow innocent blood among your people, Israel. The blood shall be forgiven them. So you shall put away the innocent blood from among you, when you shall do that which is right in Yahweh's eyes. So this portion of scripture directly correlates with Numbers chapter 35, verses 33 and 34. And I briefly discussed this in Numbers before, but the concept is pretty simple. It says in Numbers 35, do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land and atonements cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. So the concept here is one of the basic concepts, honestly, of Christianity is that the wages of sin is death. So somehow when like a murderer goes out and kills somebody, the land becomes defiled and there's no other way to undefile the land except through the death of the murderer. And I don't know how this works exactly, but there are multiple times in scripture we'll see 
moving forward where it actually says that the land is like groaning, like crying out due to the sins of the people. And somehow the land itself becomes corrupt or defiled, I suppose, polluted when a uh, a human being is murdered on the land. And there's there's no way to remove that pollution except through the death of the one who murdered that other human being. So that's like the whole concept of the wages of sin is death. Like the payment of a person's sin is their own death. There's actually a, a term for it. It's called the law of sin and death. So when at the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, when humanity sinned, the law of sin and death came into play where death did not exist before sin. After sin came into the world, then death existed. And the only way to pay for sin is through death. Now, Jesus came and atoned or rather bought back all of humanity by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for all of us so that we don't have to pay our own punishment. We don't have to uh, pay that wage anymore, that wage of sin. Rather, Jesus paid it for us. But before Jesus came down to earth, there was no perfect sacrifice. So that's where the animals come into play with a lot of this. The animals were the innocent victims that were uh, taking the place of humanity's sins. So going back to Deuteronomy 21, it says in verse 1, If someone is found slain in the land, in other words, killed in the land, which Yahweh your God gives you to possess, lying in the field, and it isn't known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges, judges shall come out, and they shall measure to the cities which are around him who is slain. So what is going on here? is they find somebody dead in a field somewhere. Somebody was murdered. No clue how it happened. It could be a man or a woman. It doesn't matter. A person is out in the field murdered and they find this person. Now, the first thing that was supposed to be done in this circumstance was a court procession taking place to try to figure out who the murderer was. They do a diligent inquiry on this person's friends and family members and whatever else, maybe finding, trying to find a witness who saw this, trying to figure out who the murderer truly is. But if they couldn't find the murderer to make the murderer pay for his sin, in other words, the murderer would have to die in order to atone for the land. If they couldn't figure out who the murderer was, then this was supposed to be supposed to happen here in Deuteronomy 21. They were supposed to measure where the person died to like the, the closest city the elders of that closest city would come out and like do this ceremony for this this slain or murdered individual. And the reason I think it was uh, the closest city would have to do it is probably because more than likely the murderer came out of that city, you know, because it was the closest city. So the, the elders of the land would come out. They would take this cow down to a stream of running water. It did not have to be in the same field that the person was murdered in. It would have to be like a field that was not touched by blood, a field that was actually not touched by anybody. It had to be like a beautiful, untouched field with a river running through it. So there the ceremony would take place. It says the cow's neck would be broken. And basically the the uh, hands would be like washed the elders' hands would be like washed in this stream. This kind of reminds me of when Pontius Pilate, during the 
trial of Jesus, he like washed his hands, you know, to like say, I'm innocent of this crime that is being committed against this man. I'm innocent. In the same way, this is kind of like what what the elders here are doing. They're washing their hands and they're saying, hey, my city is innocent of this terrible crime that just committed. We are innocent of it. And God says that in that way, the guilt of the innocent blood would would be like forgiven. And then, of course, the cow, we see that something always, this is just the beginning of time from the, the sin nature, something always has to die in order to atone for sins, in order to pay for the sins. And in this case, it was the cow because that murderer was not there. So the cow would have to take the place of this murderer. And in this way, the guilt of the city would be forgiven and God would forgive that guilt. Now, of course, the land was not atoned for. This was not like in place of the land being atoned for. This was just to make sure that uh, the city itself was innocent. This would keep the Israelites in good standing with God because this is what it says in verse nine. So you shall put away the innocent blood from among you when you shall do that which is right in Yahweh's eyes. There's other verses that say you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you. In other words, the innocent parties would not be guilty of this atrocious murder. Now, the one thing I should mention here was that this was supposed to not be commonplace, I would guess. This was not supposed to be used as an excuse to not uh, find this murder for the elders to just like ignore it. Because, I mean, think about the person murdered. That person had a family who was probably distraught over the fact that he or she was murdered. God is always in favor of justice. I mean, he, yes, he is extremely merciful, but he is a God of justice. And so this was not supposed to be an excuse to not go and try to find this murderer. And of course, the murderer was not innocent in God's sight. God knew exactly who had done the murder. God sees all. <laughs> and because of that, someday the murderer was going to get God's justice like doled out on him, regardless of the fact that he thinks he got away with any of this. But I think really what this is supposed to be is just an act of obedience of this city recognizing that what happened outside of the city gates was terrible. Murder is awful. Murder should not happen. And I think this was the the city stepping up to recognize that this terrible thing had happened and that they were sorry for the sins of their people. Like one of their one of their people committed this sin. And until that murderer could be found, this ceremony was supposed to happen. There's another thing I should mention here, and this is kind of me bringing this forward, I suppose, into today. Even though we don't live under this this law, we can still take something from this. The elders were supposed to do a prayer along with the ceremony, which it says, forgive Yahweh your people whom you have redeemed. Don't allow the innocent blood among your people, Israel. You know, we aren't supposed to just like idly stand by while terrible stuff like happens, I guess, in our countries. We are supposed to just like sit there and just be like, oh, whatever, it's happening to somebody else. It didn't happen to me, so I shouldn't worry about it. We should be feeling distress for what is going on and praying like, Yahweh, forgive your people whom you have redeemed. Because I mean, we have been redeemed. You and I nowadays have been redeemed through Jesus's sacrifice. And just because we are redeemed, that doesn't mean we are free from sin. 
just as even though the Israelites who were redeemed by God weren't free from sin, that's, that's pretty clear throughout scripture, they were not free from sin and they had to go pray this prayer. So we should be doing the same thing. Forgive Yahweh your people whom you have redeemed. And this can be us praying for the church because the church is now God's people. The church is in some serious problems right now. And we can pray this prayer for the church. There's a verse in scripture that says that, you know, how we're all the body of Christ. And if one part of that body suffers, the entire church begins to suffer. Prayers like this is very powerful. And we, we really should be praying prayers, prayers like this because repentance is so insanely important. Even if it's not necessarily us that committed the sin, it actually says in scripture that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, of course, that's talking directly about how Jesus, with his love, covered our sins. But still praying prayers like this of, you know, God, build up our church again. Guide us to the truth. Like, those prayers are so strong and so needed. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have a terrible prayer life. That is one thing that I can say that I horrifically struggle with. Horrifically struggle with. I don't pray very often. When I do pray, it's kind of like little quips to God. And uh, up until recently, I wouldn't even pray in public because I was so stressed out about (laughs) praying in public because I was more worried about what other people were going to think rather than uh, what I was saying to God. So my challenge is, is to pray for your church this week. Pray a prayer of repentance if your church is, you know, struggling through something. Pray a prayer of, you know, God build my church back up. Or just in general, pray for the church across the world that they continue to spread the gospel because these prayers don't go unanswered by God. These prayers don't go unheard by God and they are extremely powerful prayers. Well, faithful listeners, I hope that this uh, episode was coherent. I'm going to be honest. I I struggled through this episode a little bit. I was having a hard time (laughs) with this episode. So I do hope it was coherent and you guys uh, learned something from it and you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, please share it on your social media platforms. Friends and faithful listeners, I really hope you have a wonderful rest of your Monday and that you are blessed. Happy listening. And of course, God bless.